Hi everybody and welcome back to B2B Nav, um, back to our normal marketing communications topics this week <laughs> rather than being defrauded out of cash. Um, so this week we have set what is quite a lengthy title so I'm going to read it out um, but very relevant to a lot of the multinational large-scale clients that we work with. So the question we are going to discuss is how do you create a coherent brand experience across multiple diverse business units all with their own agenda? Now. There's a perfect person here to answer that question. Mr. John Halliwell, uh, how do you, director. How do you do that? I think you've got to, you've got to understand, you know, look, we don't live in a perfect world. And I think everyone knows the perfect theory for do, uh, doing it. I do. You read about it in books and mm. that's it. You start with the parent organization and you do a full rebrand exercise around that. You look at what they need to achieve, what they need to articulate. Mm -hmm and how that then filters down into all their little divisions. And things like that, at that level, are we talking mission, Mission, values, vision, values, yeah. proposition, value propositions. All at a corporate level at that yeah. point. Yeah, and you're at a corporate level looking yeah. at the mothership. Yep. Yeah. But the world's not perfect, is mm -hmm. it? <laughs> yep. And that, I think therein lies the rub. So what you need to do is at least, or certainly what we try and do, I think, is take a flavor mm -hmm at the very least, of the corporate entity and then articulate that through. Now, whether we're carrying a strap line through, yeah. a line that we've heard or we've articulated in a meeting, it depends. But it's always, you've got to kind of come back to something. And I think yeah. that's where the big struggles lie. And the problem, I guess, first off, is identifying why yeah. people are veering off. What's, what's the causation of that? Yeah thing because theoretically they shouldn't feel they need to or mm -hmm. want to yeah. is it and well, we can wax lyrical more about this is it the fact that they've given themselves access to social channels is it the fact that they've discovered the web yeah is it the fact and you know in some cases it is that the mothership isn't cutting it yeah or is paralyzed by an elephant in front of them that they don't know where to start chewing away at it. The, the difficulty sometimes, I guess, must lie in the fact when we talk about the different diverse business units, business groups, whatever reference you want to make to them, but in, in the large businesses that we're working with, that the, the sectors that they operate in are genuinely so diverse. And I think that's they? probably the key. So some of our clients are quite, while they've got many business groups, yep. they all sit around one area. So mm -hmm. it might be science, it might be pharma, it might be nutrition, but fundamentally, the core of the business is true across all the business units. It might mm -hmm. be different markets. It might be different geographies that are serving. Yeah. When you get one that is truly diverse, you then do have a problem of how can one brand entity mm -hmm. answer all these wants and needs, whether, I don't know, if you know automotive one day, electronics the next yeah. day, personal care the next. Yeah. It's really hard to find commonality between those three. And that's only three. But yeah, and at that point, I guess, yeah, I, I've got, let's, 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 let's crack on through, through the different topics there, because I guess I'm, I'm conscious of some listeners will have a great knowledge on this topic and others will be a, a lot more basic, I guess. But in, in the real world application of this, so as I just said there, John, the, in, a real, in an ideal scenario, you'd want to set the tone at the top. That would include what brand guidelines, I'm assuming? Brand guidelines, corporate identity, tone of voice. vision, mission, values, tone of voice. You name everything. it, absolutely everything. But the ideal is that you're doing that with a business that's got all these kind of divisions underneath it in place. So you can sit there yeah. as a mother, I don't know, we'll use these. So <laughs> imagine that the pint of water, the Coke, 
and you're drinking Moretti today. It would appear to be. Um, are all existing business units, yeah. and the phone is the mothership, yeah. the brand entity. So you start talking about the brand entity, but you've got all these in place, so you you kind of see what you're dealing with. Yeah. But in reality, what you find is this exists over here initially, and yeah. it's this happily being the mothership for anybody the mothership, that can't yeah. see us. The, for, <laughs> the lead entity, yeah. that's kind of doing its own thing, yeah. and then that, over time, buys yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Merges or buys that. Buys the pint of water, buys the coffee cup, buys the laptop, and it becomes this kind of unwieldy beast. And how could you possibly, uh, how can its values yeah. possibly align unless there's been a very clear, yeah. purposeful purchase strategy? But I think that's it. I think the best practice argument around the brand proposition and points sit very well in like a startup mentality. So if it's a brand new business, when you're doing everything with a clean sheet of paper, that's perfect. Mm. When you are M&Aing and acquiring companies and integrating mm. businesses, it's, much business more complex. Units, it's absolute nightmare. Particularly, Ollie, I guess, if they've got their own, they've got already their own brand presence, profile, mm -hmm. social media footprint. Um, yeah, so we've seen that with uh, one of our new clients now is that they've effectively got... I think it's 40 or 50 different social profiles in play yeah, okay. across multiple different business units like in this case again like they've acquired over time yeah um, different regions have their own accounts and things like that and it's just they've had to start dialing it back and start shutting down accounts because you know they've not been kept up consistently there's not regular posting there's not a, a, a you know the right tone of voice there across all the accounts. Are there, are there even, are there even as well? social media guidelines in place on on that type of thing? Probably not. No, in this you? case, no. So that okay. what we're doing oh. now with them is is. Or oh, there would not, be across nine, yeah. ten, yeah. twenty yeah. different businesses. So in that groups. case, it's a case of going back retrospectively and trying to then apply it. But obviously, that's in an ideal world, you would like to do this before you get into things. Yeah. Like you're saying with the with yeah. the startup, it's very easy to define all these things at the very beginning. Much harder, obviously, if you've done all this M&A and you're a bigger company, you mm -hmm. will end up in a situation at some point where you've got different business units or different brands or different regions that end up somewhat misaligned in that kind of mm -hmm. brand experience. And I think one of the other frustrations, obviously, is um, you know, we're, we're all impatient these days, but if, if, you're, if, if I was the head of a, a business group or a, um, one, one, of the, one of the kind of um, verticals, I guess, from a client perspective, and I had to wait for the corporate level mm -hmm. team to tell me what the proposition was going to be and how I could shape my messaging and what content I could produce, would, would I be happy waiting in that no, scenario? No, I think it's unlikely you would wait, especially with, mm. with stuff like social media yeah. or anything else. Well, I think anything that's going to either decelerate the pipeline or have an effect on sales, you're going to be resistant against it. Well, then how, how, do you, how do you control that then? And because I think it's probably worth us... You're always going to get, have that robot going ahead of each other, I guess, in that of course, kind of yeah. scenario. I suppose it's worth as well noting that I think we're talking very much at the moment... Yeah about a kind of, I guess, a how, not a house of brands. It's not one parent brand with multiple individual product brands underneath it. Yeah. It's more the idea of an endorsed kind of yeah. subdivision mm -hmm. and each of these divisions operates in its own markets. And that's slightly different, so that's probably where... Is it worth talking through that kind of brand architecture as a, as a top level point? Because I guess you have got you know, second nature to you and and, and, and you now. No, okay, well, we do it a lot, don't we? But I mean, more in the sense of, I guess, the options you've got for that kind of brand architecture yeah. at a high level. I mean, in the first yeah, it's kind of worth understanding how you want the businesses to sit. So if we use, I don't know, we'll use ourselves as mm -hmm. an example. If BDB, we're going to kind of go on the acquisition trail and buy multiple businesses in multiple sectors, we've got lots of choices in front of us in mm -hmm. terms of how we portray or divide that portfolio of 
entities up, and that I guess some of it depends on what our long term vision is. Yeah. Market equity. Yeah. You know, existing kind of competitive issues and such like. So we could term it in if we diversified, I don't know, into a social yep. influencer agency, a digital agency on its own, a business to consumer agency, all these kind of things. It might be BDB, suffix, yep. the division. Yep. And that's one way of skinning it. And that's more where the alignment problems that we're discussing arise yep. because you've kind of got then those very different pulls and needs. It's almost like endorsed, isn't it, by the parent, I guess, in that case, yeah. Because in that case, the expectation from the customer is that it's BDB, but if we're not all... It's a flavour of BDB. So what it is, is that kind of thing of... So if we use our positioning, which is we are B2B, obviously, if we went into the B2C market, it would be quite (laughs) troublesome for us. Quite a tough one, that one, yeah. But if we are diversifying our business stream into things like digital exhibitions, influencer, blah, 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 yeah. All of those would hark back to that core truth and mm. value of we are B2B. Yeah. And each of those entities would have a take on it. What that means to them, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's probably, without jumping ahead, that's probably one of the ways you can solve these problems. Yeah. We're lucky we've got a very, very pinpoint, precise proposition. Yeah. For a lot of organisations, what they've had to do, and you see it all the time, is they've had to kind of... Dilute and dilute and dilute and dilute and dilute to a point where their actual value proposition, strap line, tagline, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. is kind of meaningless. It's kind of a lot of the words you kind of expect. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in an order you expect, sometimes not. But they're sort of kind of, and they have to be that broad because then they have to account for every business underneath it. So the introduction of social and I guess the, the, the digital environment that we now operate in, it has made it easier for people to go off piste with brand, I guess, and mm-hmm. you know, just really set up their own channels and run their own shop. And I guess, you know, a, a real world example that we've come across this week is um, a client working on a website. So the website needs finishing. Very similar story to ourselves as we're trying to update our new website at the minute and, you know, urgently trying to get things done on that. But the client wants to get that finished, wants to get that done. The, the, the kind of renewed corporate level top line proposition probably isn't there yet. So the website needs finishing. So mm. the tone of voice for that website needs shaping, the copy mm. for that website, the proposition, which at the moment is at risk of maybe being focused on one of the state, one of the many stakeholders in the mix for kind of that web environment. How, how, how do you advise against, or have to advise around that, I guess, in the sense of, it's a real world example, the website needs mm. doing. Yeah. This bit isn't done yet. And then, the, and then there's 10, quite disparate business groups in the mix as well. They need I to think bring it, on board. Yeah. I think it very much own. depends on, you've got to prioritise. Yeah. You know, is your current website in such a poor state and doing such a bad job of communicating to your audience at the minute yeah. that you have no choice but to go ahead and replace it right now because you're losing opportunities in the meantime? Yeah. Or is it a case of your current website is actually a bit dated, but could do with replacing, yeah. um, but the message is the most important thing to get right. If if the message is the most important thing, then you'd be better off holding off and, and trying Could to align you? everybody internally, get everything you need from the stakeholders. If it's a case of your website isn't converting when you need it to be, and you know you're getting traffic to the site, but you're losing business on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. you can go ahead, you can launch that new website and make sure that you come back to it and align. Don't forget about yeah. it and say, we've launched that new website, we're done now, let's touch it again in three years' time. Almost like you the can MVP approach to it, getting something yeah. out there. Yeah. Or can you go... So do it in multiple steps. I mean, I think that's an interesting question in terms of do people, do you think they immediately go 
so the website's not performing for whatever reason. We look into it and we go, well, we're getting traffic, but no one's converting. And do you think that immediate thing, because I always, this always goes around in my head, the immediate reaction to most people is, oh, it must be the site structure, it must be the UX, it's got to be something around the way yeah. we structure it and calls to action. Whereas in fact, it could be what it could quite equally be that we're not saying anything, we're not saying things in a articulated way that are meaningful. I think you have to weigh that up. You don't. You have to. You have to do best guess as to why that is that people are, are not converting. And if you've got a dated old site with a bad structure, there's probably a good chance. Oh, it's a slow site. There's a good chance it's that. On the other hand. If your messaging's all over the place and you're not clearly articulating who you are, but the actual user experience of the site isn't bad, then maybe that's the case. It comes back again to questioning, I guess, the brand architecture as well. And like we said, you know, is it a house of brands? Is it a branded house? Which way do you go? Because we've all seen, I know you and I have looked at sites in the past and just like almost given up, where you look at a site and you know that the site structure... Yeah is a direct result of the M&A activity. <laughs> yeah, bolt, so bolt, we, bolt we bought it that quick, put like, it yeah, on the site. We bought that, we need it on the site without yeah. any thought about how the user or the customer yeah. or the prospect yeah. interacts in that marketplace. And it might be, and this is, you know, I think most large organizations bulk at this and probably unwisely. It might be that actually what you need to do is actually split these sites out. So a lot of the time we see corporate sites with you know, multiple divisions worth of material on, I can think of clients present and past, yeah. who are all like this. Absolutely. And there's probably quite a loss in traction because they're not specialising, they're not yeah. identifying what makes that their proposition in that market unique mm -hmm. and really honing in on it. They're yeah. going best fit for everything. So it's almost like the tail wags the dog of, we need a corporate site. You know, I had a client years ago who had about four or five divisions and they handily had their brand name and then suffixed each of the divisions with a phrase. Okay. So I said to them one day, I was like sitting with the three business unit managers and the chairman <coughs> and we were having a really long discussion about who buys from what. And ultimately they all interestingly said, we just buy from company A's name. Oh, right, okay. No suffix, no nothing. Right. It's almost meaningless in a way. <laughs> um, almost meaningless. But then oh, they also said, well, no, no, we don't, not, not them, because they're the corporate business. That's right. something different. So you need to kind of work out how do you yeah. balance that? Well, it's understanding the buyer, I suppose, to an extent, understanding the customer journey, understanding, I guess, how they go through it. I guess flipping it a different way, I'm trying to think of all the different angles you come at this from, because I'm always keen to try and bring it back to real life examples, because obviously theory is great. We always say that theory is fantastic. On a, on, a, on a level of, let's assume the scenario that the, the top level corporate brand is done, set, yep. lovely, everybody's happy with it. Then you go down to a business group level. So let's take uh, something like advanced materials for something like the WeWork, okay. where they'll across various, and for anybody that doesn't know, that's like coatings, resins, you name it, weird and wonderful things that go Rubber. Rubber. Rubber is another one. Um, but like at that business group level then, so they've got the corporate brand guidelines, yeah. they've got all that. They've then got to work out their own mm. uh, vertical proposition, correct? Okay, yeah. And then in terms of, would, would the recommendation be that at that level they also have brand guidelines? I think, it, again, it depends on are you sat within a branded house, house of brands, how autonomous is each of those business units? Because how do you ensure even something like an exhibition show, as an example, mm. where... There's a lot of activity going on, everything from the 
the branding, the yeah. collateral, the content on the day, the digital environment that features on the stand, and even things like pieces to camera that people are shooting, the messaging, yeah. the way that shot, the way people look. Is that a business group issue then, or is that a corporate issue, or is that? This is where it needs to be, and this is the, in, I guess, the inconvenient truth. It each business is totally different, yeah, and each business has its own set of, kind of I guess, issues around the subject. Yeah, I think the one thing that they all have to do, everyone has to do, and everyone fails to do, is just put the anchors on, stop, take time to consider what's right mm-hmm. for your marketplace. Yeah. So, how much affinity does? business unit A that's just been acquired have with the master brand? Mm -hmm. Does it need to have a slightly more divorced, shall we say, relationship? Mm -hmm. Or does it need to be right in the pocket of that area? You know, is it a product brand? Is it a service brand? Is it a division? These, all these things kind of have to be considered. And I don't think people necessarily pay enough attention to working that out first. So that's where you do get these problems of we're doing a stand and we're doing it for one of the business groups, but we want, we're going to be corporate. And in a lot of instances, that's exactly the right thing to do. But equally, you need to sometimes think, is it? Yeah. Do we, do we need to be more, is our corporate flavor relevant versus what we know within that business group or what we kind of want to articulate as a message? Does that apply through to the web environment as well then, Ollie? I guess if you've got like a parent company corporate site and then let's say you've got 10 different business groups that are quite disparate from cosmetics to adhesives to you you name it, you know, the different areas that we work across, I guess, as disparate as they can be. Is that web environment, would the recommendation be, I don't know, it might be, depends on the scenario, but divisions on a site, different sites, microsites? I think we've seen uh, people approach it different ways and there's, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to everything. Um, so it, I don't want to give a cop-out answer, but it does very much depend on your I knew that situation. was the answer, I just thought. Yeah. <laughs> but we've seen, well, it's yeah, we've got, it's right we've got clients where you go to their corporate site and they've got, you know, 20, 30 different subsections for each of the different sectors. Um, and then we've got clients where each of those is on a completely different domain, a different site, and giving a different uh, kind of user experience there as well. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on on how, I guess, how closely aligned everything is, how closely aligned everything is to that parent. I think out, outside the objectives that, as well, didn't it? what the website's trying it, to achieve. It also, I think, to some degree, it doesn't actually matter at all because what matters is what the market is demanding and how the rest of the market operates. Yeah. You know, what is what are the SEO concerns around that specific market area? What are the wants and needs? What are they asking for? At the end of the day, as long as users can find what they need, yeah. um, I don't think they care what domain they're on or worth it. Whether I think you're right, but I think, you know, we see it a lot that you tend to find when you go to these large corporate behemoths, mm-hmm. it's really hard to find what you want. And then yeah, when yeah. you do find it, yeah. it's kind of like a bit of an afterthought. Yeah. I think yeah. that, yeah, yeah, I think part of the issue there, and this is a completely separate point, is just sometimes with the scale of the sites that they're trying to deal with, mm. they seem to have either failed to um, to approach it right in terms of structuring their site in the first place to make that easy to navigate. Or they did that, you know, 10 years ago when that was the standard and that was the way people browsed, but such a big site, it's hard to redo. So you can't yeah. redo it as often. Um, and it requires much more stakeholders to get it signed off, which means that your dated site structure and navigation kind of lives think, on way past its but, expiration. But then I look at people who, you know, they don't change their site that often, but they get it right. So the likes of GE, the likes of IBM, 
Canon, for example, work in a huge range of areas, and they seem to pretty much universally go down the subdomain route in terms of everything starts at their URL, but then they'll always subdomain it out. And is that more, do you think that's a better way to approach it or? But, um, because they don't seem to change that often. They, they seem to be able to accommodate. Do you mean subdomain or subfolder? Uh, IBM.smartplanet.com. Fair enough. I think the more common one that I see with uh, multinational Sorry, companies is forward slash, forward slash duh. yeah, and then having a separate separate URL within that for each company. So yeah. each country, so slash just EM. for the non geeks. Exactly. What is it? What's the difference? Um, a subdomain. Uh, let's give an example. Would be uh, digital.bdb.co.uk. Don't bother typing in; it doesn't exist. Um, or you could have bdb.co.uk forward slash digital, which would be um, a subfolder. Yep. And so the, that sits on your main domain. Yeah, side. so it's a difference between a subdomain and a main domain. Main domain usually has more benefits in terms of search engines and, and traffic finding you, yep. and that's usually the way companies approach it, especially with um, with regards to multinational sites. Mm-hmm. Maybe not if you're talking about different things, but if I want to have uh, a French site and a Canadian site and a Canadian French site and a US site, etc., you'll usually find it's following that structure of country and and country code. Yeah. Okay. But that would typically be for a non multi-group product yes, service yes. offer. So I guess it'll vary yeah. when, when somebody's getting involved in different businesses and different sectors because, yeah, then you're not sharing the same core message and approach. Yeah. Do you think then there has, to be, there has to be an acceptance that things will be out of sync unless you are day zero with a brand new business no, to an extent? No, I don't. I think, I was just going to say, actually, I think the answer to it is at some point you need integration and you need integration that has that helicopter view of multiple business units. So what you can't solve the problem. So yeah, to, to a point, to, to a point you you're are never gonna, right. You're never going to have the perfect moment to do you it. Either, I mean, you so. either go year zero, yeah. we are starting from scratch, but brands tend to only ever do that if there's yeah. been a fundamentally <laughs> quite a large problem yeah. of some description. Yeah. Or you take, kind of almost go back up the chain. You go, right, okay, well, if we start looking for the commonalities between all the business groups and the core brand, whether that's a value, whether it's their vision, whether mm-hmm. it's their personality, you start to create that familial feel between them. Because yeah. I guess that's what everyone wants, is that ability to feel that everything is cohesive and together. Because if it looks like a yeah. step-toes yard... Yeah. It doesn't really engender confidence. I think does they, it? they definitely all want to feel part of the same family, generally. And I think coming from the other side of the M and A environment, I think I've seen both sides of it now. Quite often, the M and A and the statutory kind of structuring of companies sometimes seems to drive it rather than what's rather than right for the customer yeah. and what's yeah. right for the customer side of things. So the fact you've got a corporate financier, a tax planner, or an accountant in the room saying you must structure your businesses in these ways. And these are the corporate structuring and these are the different brands. And they'll be advising people to think about the, even the exit planning. So well, I was about got, to say, Dan. Are you going to sell that in isolation? Is it a group sale? Is it a is it, um, conglomerate sale? Whatever it may be. Um, that's the kind of advice that is also going on in the background in boardrooms with C-suites. Whereas the brand sometimes does feel like an afterthought. Yeah. Probably. So and that, that's, I guess, where you want to bring your partner, your agency, your consultancy in. Yeah. And be as honest as you can with them. You know, if the aspiration is to sell in... Hmm? five years or to sell a quarter of the portfolio 
It does slightly alter the agenda, doesn't give, it? Give them that information so that they can help you design a brand structure and a brand kind of platform mm. that allows that rather than yeah. pulling everything in dogmatically and calling it one thing or another thing. You know, I had a question there. Yeah, so I was just going to say, um, when approaching this, and let's say you've got a company that's misaligned and you've got lots of subdivisions doing their own thing and you want to try and fix that, and you're starting at that corporate level, you've got, you've got buy-in and you're, and you're wanting to correct these issues, to what extent should you or shouldn't you let the divisions have involvement in that project? Should this be something that's dictated down? Should you be getting them involved so they're more bought into it? I think they need to be involved. If they don't buy into it, mm. it won't happen. It's like anything. It's like negotiating with a 10-year-old. If you, or a three-year-old in your case, or a six-year-old in your case, <laughs> that's if, hard for me, yeah. if you don't, get them to buy into what you're saying, they won't do it. Now, I guess in reality, it's more like benign dictatorship, isn't it? There's a there's an element of a kind of, I don't know, psychological profiling and almost getting them to think that they're part and it's their idea, but you've got to get that buy-in. Depends how tight the process is, procedures, the level of autonomy of the... Of the individual business groups can they go can they go off and do their own thing and then there's also a logistical aspect i guess of the if you're talking about global businesses you could have somebody sat in brazil trying to report or get sign off from somebody in europe or even further afield and you've got the time zones to deal with so there's an awful lot of practical issues to think about with these things and i think in terms of should they be involved i would always say yes i would always say they should be involved in the process so they get the buy-in they feel like they've been consulted however sometimes somebody's got to drive that process yeah. so if it's if it's so egalitarian that we all have a chat about it you think one thing and i think the other i think it's rather somebody's got it's probably forgive, forgiveness not permission isn't it in terms of this is how we are going to approach it we hope yeah. you'd like it we want to take you through it yeah and i think that's it for me yes yeah, so setting that process explaining <coughs> the best practice explaining the way to go and why you would do it in such a way getting them involved that process hopefully getting their buy-in and then having the control environment the the guidelines the principles to police that as well off the back of it because you don't want it's great doing it setting it all and then immediately somebody goes and sets up their own yeah. Twitter handle over here somewhere which immediately is at complete odds with what, what you've yeah. spent months planning and then, this, you, so. then you get into like there's some really interesting ways of approaching that because now you kind of move it on then from the theoretical and the cerebral side mm. of it to you're right you've done all that how the heck do you kind of keep the implementation solid enough mm. and I guess and we've talked about it before and I'm sure we will again that's where you need platforms that you yeah. can utilize in a way that will give consistent messaging consistent assets consistent and without without crippling the agility of the business yeah. i think you see that i was a fear of mine always you know is in terms of like process and procedures can cripple that kind of free thinking creativity yeah. and, and, then, and then agility you pick, of a business. then you pick but, your model don't you so then yeah. it moves into a whole different thing of do we have a lead agency yeah do we have an agency of record do we have one agency that does everything do we have one agency managing multiple local mm -hmm. agencies yeah. where are the lines of reporting how structured do we make mm -hmm. that do we just give them a series of collateral templates and platform stuff and go the digital environment the way digital assets and platforms can assist you these days because even from the brand guidelines perspective i know even mm. up until 12 months ago when you discuss brand guidelines with me, I was thinking about some manual that would be in somebody's bin yeah, or stuff that nobody has seen. We've seen some really great creative examples cool of brand examples, guidelines yeah. now where yeah. they're hosted online. Yeah. You can have them behind a the login if, if that's a concern to you, mm -hmm. but they're 
more interactive. You're more likely to get people to use them because they can quickly find the information they need. They can access it on any device they've got. They don't need to worry about yeah. like, oh, my, that giant PDF's too big to email and it's stuck on the work server. I think it's about empowering, isn't it? I, yeah. would, I would always advocate the agency not being involved in every, t every tactical execution. Mm -hmm. And that might sound like heresy, but it's not. It's about For giving... practical. Yeah, if you want something practical, you cannot rely on an agency to kind of do everything. You've got to empower the business to feel part of it and to feel it's there. But ultimately, the way you get everyone on board, make, make it feel like it's theirs. Yeah. Do you think at this point, we've not really gone that much into kind of the the platforms you could use to kind of achieve these things. We've touched on Showpad previously. If anybody's unsure of what that is, it's a sales enablement platform. It does assist with this kind of thing in yeah. terms of the consistency of information, I guess. And yeah, that, yeah. It, it controls controls really well messaging mm -hmm. and kind of technical stuff. But also, you know, not to forget its actual its origin as mm -hmm. an asset management platform. Mm -hmm. So you can keep all the templates on there and store everything centrally. You've got I don't even know if it's still going, but I've been I've worked with a program called Distribune, which allows people to edit online versions of of brochures, of data sheets, and add country or product specific information. So there's multiple ways of doing it. Yeah, I think I suppose it's like anything in, in this game. It's preparate. It's ninety percent preparation and ten percent yeah. execution. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do we wrap up with some top tips if we can do that? So yeah. I want to look at you first, Ollie. Okay. okay. I think don't let the fact that it's going to be complex and hard stop you from trying. Yep. Because there's so many things that are complex and hard, and all you have to do is just start it one bit at a time, work out where the problems are, what you need to be doing, and yeah, start with one division if you have to. Start at that corporate level slowly if you have to, but don't not begin just because it looks like it's hard. Sure. John? Yeah. I'd say don't let the minority steer the ship. Okay. You know, yeah. there'll always be naysayers, there'll always be someone who's got that little, well, we've always done it like this and it seems to work. It's not necessarily the truth. Yeah. And I think you've got to be strong enough to bring them with you rather than yeah. sort of acknowledge them too much. Yeah, I think my echoing always would be there's never a perfect time to do it. So in the sense of, yeah, putting things off and waiting and waiting and waiting won't help. And then probably learning from my own experiences and, and client interactions would be, Somebody's, somebody's got to be bad cop, somebody's got to drive it, somebody's got to be that a little bit more dicta dictatorial around the kind of actual application of these things. So It's the final say, isn't it? It's that the book has to stop some... You, you know, want an autonomous environment, but somebody's... Committees are great, but at some point someone's got to... Yeah, somebody's got to police it down. and somebody's got to actually execute these things as well. So, yeah, mm -hmm. hopefully everybody enjoyed that episode. Um, feel free to let us know if there's any particular topics you'd like us to cover as part of B2B NAV. Um, as always, don't forget to check out www.b2bknowledge.com, um, our content hub for helping our clients, prospects, and contacts navigate the ever-evolving B2B marketing landscape. Uh, thanks, guys, and yeah. uh, see you next week. Cheers. Yeah, bye. Bye.